This morning, uh, we like to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And as we go to 1 Samuel 13, I think that the Apostle Paul says about things that are written in the Old Testament, he says, they're written there for our learning, for our encouragement, and to our, uh, help our understanding. But the fact of the matter is, is that when we read some of these Bible stories, I remember reading these stories to my children when they were little, and as they were growing up, and they were neat and exciting stories, some of them, for young, for kids, you know, to listen to. They're exciting, and they're they were the they were heroes. David and Jonathan were heroes, and just God worked in these powerful ways. And wow! But you know, as we come into the Lord and we become Christians, then there's uh, a deeper message for us as Christians that is there that that is very powerful and very broad, and that we can apply to 2022 and to our own personal life as well as to the the assistance of others that we know. And one of these stories, the story of Jonathan, is a story that we have to take a look at ourselves as we go through this story in the state of Israel and what was going on there at that time. And there's a dark cloud over Israel the people of God. And our faith is tested in similar ways to this. And so we have to take a good look at the test of Israel and learn something about it for our own personal life and apply it to our life. Now, we, don't, we are not surrounded by Philistines, so to speak. But we are surrounded by unseen enemies. And we are surrounded by physical adversaries that are stirred up by these enemies. And we also have many other challenges that seem sometimes impossible. And we feel the same way. Like there's a dark cloud around us. It's hopeless. It just And we may never say those things. We say, oh, I'm trusting God. But we're very bleak in our outlook. Very dark and very much not perceiving the things of the Spirit concerning areas of our life. And so first we'll look at the first part of this is in chapter 13. And it starts out verse 1. Saul ruled for a year And when he had ruled two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul at Michmash. And in the mountains of Bethel, a thousand men were at Jonathan and Gibeah to Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent every man away to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the camp of the Philistines who was in Geba. And the Philistines heard it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land of Israel saying, Let the Hebrews hear. All Israel heard it, 
said that Saul had attacked the camp of the Philistines and that Israel had become an abomination or a stink to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the siege were in multitude. And they came up and camped at Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, that the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and in holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gilead, to Gad and Gilead. And as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people who followed him were trembling. They were defeated before the battle even started. Why? Because there was a spirit of fear among them. Now Saul, with a thousand men in the camp, and with a thousand men, he didn't take all, he took a thousand men and attacked the camp of the Philistines. Wow, he was brave and courageous, all those things. But as we see later, because they were very much outnumbered of the camp of the Philistines, you see how many Philistines there were here. They gathered this massive army together. And they were divided into three camps. What was going on with Jonathan that wasn't going on with Saul? Why wasn't it 3,000 men? All 3,000, why didn't they all attack? Why didn't Saul do this? You know, the head of the, of the king of, the, of, the, of Israel and the, the head of the captain of, of, uh, you know, of Israel, why didn't he take that initiative? We see that there was two different things going on with the, with, between Saul and his men and with Jonathan. It says the people were in hiding. When they heard that the Philistines came in this big massive army, they ran and hid. They accepted defeat. They were, they were living in defeat. And we can be the same way. Not standing by faith against all odds like this. Things look impossible. Things seem... And, and we, we, we develop... This retiring attitude. We put up the white flag and accept certain things that we shouldn't. We accept our bad temperament. We accept our circumstances. We, we accept defeat. And we don't take into account the supernatural nature of the power of God. And the promises of God. The promises of God are not carnal. They are spiritual. They are only understand through the Spirit. And so here we see that with many of the people of God. They're living in defeat. They're hiding. They're in a defensive posture. They're hiding from their enemies. And without realizing it, we can be walking exactly like this. Without recognizing it. Are we surrendering? Later on, 
Um, we see a similar thing where some of the some of the, the Israelites actually join with the Philistines to help them out to get on their side to attack Israel. Switch sides. That happened to some of them. So here we go. And there's great distress and darkness among the children of Israel. God told Joshua, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. You follow me. But where was this kind of confidence? Where was this kind of courage? Let's continue on. In verse uh, 16, 15, I'm sorry. Verse 15, after Samuel rebukes uh, Saul. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. Well, where did the 3,000 go? Why was it only 600 now? It's the spirit of fear. They deserted him. And there's only 600 men left with Saul. And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people present with him remained in Gibeah. But the Philistines were encamped in Michmash. And raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. And it gives the names of them. In verse 19, Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. So, you know, a blacksmith is a person who works with steel. They make horseshoes, they, make, they work steel to make weapons like swords, spearheads, things like that. Everybody, most everybody knows that, right? So, we know that um, with the purpose of it, and the Philistines had so gotten control of Israel, this is how dark it was, that they weren't allowed to make any, there was no blacksmiths. They, were, they had to go to the, Philist, the land of the Philistines to get any, any of that work done because the Philistines wanted to make sure that there was no swords or spears or anything, any weapons of war being made. So, it says... In verse 22, so it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan his son. Let's see, there's 600 men, and two of them have a sword, nobody has a spear. And this massive army of the Philistines is coming to destroy them and wipe them out. And so I'm, I'm sure... Their plan was to capture Saul and to, and to, you know, capture him or even kill him. And, and to be the end of, you know, Israel. And they would be, uh, it would be just be completely under the control of the Philistines. So it was a bad, it was a bad place. How much more dark can it look like than this? But yet... Here we are looking at this. Do we see 
our own life and areas where we've been in retreat. Areas that we say we're trusting God about, but when push comes to shove, in reality, we're not praying the prayer of faith. We're not on the attack, so to speak. We are in remission. We are in hiding, so to speak. We're not aggressive. We're not confident. We're not walking in courage. And that's what we see. But the men and women of God are called to walk in faith. And walking in faith has a certain mindset and attitude. And it's not this. So then where is it? We see it in the attitude of one of Saul's men, his own son. And, like I said, how more outnumbered can you be than this? And completely ill-equipped army. The Philistine army is well-equipped. Massive numbers, chariots, cavalry, that's horsemen, and infantry. It says, like the sand of the sea in number. Massive number. Again, 600 men with two swords. What do you suppose they were carrying in their hands? Axes, these 600 men, axes, staff to fight with, pick. <laughs> Who knows what they were trying to fight with? Verse, chapter 14 and verse 1. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine camp that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Go to verse 6. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to this camp of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work with us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you, according to your heart. So the first question we ask is this. The first time that Jonathan attacked the camp of the Philistines, he took the thousand men that were under his hand. But now there weren't a thousand men. But why didn't he take the soldiers that were there left? It says, and Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people that followed him trembled. They had no faith. There was, they were living in fear. And you see, he tells his armor bearer, and he takes his armor bearer. Why did he take his armor bearer? I guess he knew something about his armor bearer. And his armor bearer was with him in this seemingly wild and crazy idea. And he took none of the men of Saul with him. First time he attacked with a thousand men. This time he took one guy with him. And, and, in, his, and in his going, he said, first he said, let's go to the camps, me and you. And he says, uh, let us go over to this camp of the Philistines, of the uncircumcised. You see, he begins to understand, he understands things of the Spirit. These are the uncircumcised. God is not on, with them. God is with us. 
and not with them. There is a confidence, a faith in, in, in God and in, in God's doings and God's spirit and in God's word. To the, in this case, to the people of Israel. The covenant God made with Israel. And he refers to them as the uncircumcised. He understood spiritual things. And he was applying it in a way that seems outlandish, bizarre, crazy, to the natural mind. The natural mind is against the things of the spiritual, the spirit, and the spiritual mind. We read that in the book of Romans. And so we see that here, that God moved upon Jonathan, and Jonathan responded and embraced what God had for him to do. And everything that happens after this is through faith in God that Jonathan does. And the words that he says, let us go over to the camp of the uncircumcised, it may be that God will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. doesn't matter how outnumbered we are, how ill-equipped we are, all these things of the natural mind. You see, this is the problem that's laid out here. The natural mind, the spiritual mind. Human reasoning, spiritual reasoning. Human understanding, spiritual understanding. And God gives us spiritual understanding, and he gave it to Jonathan here, to understand the promise of God, the things of God, and to move forward in faith. And he moved forward uh, with courage and with confidence. And so... Jonathan says to his armor bearer in verse 8, he says, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait till we come to you, we will stand in our place. And if not, we will go up to them. And we will not go up to them. But if they say thus, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So Jonathan lays it out to his arm bear. This is what we're going to do. And either God, we're going to call that out to them, and God's either going to give us a red light or a green light. But one of the things that his armor bearer says to him in verse 7, so his armor bearer says to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, for here I am with you, according to your heart. Not according to your head, not according to your wisdom, not according to your own understanding, but according to what's in your heart. Because somehow, God also gave the perception to his armor bearer that, that there was, God was in this somehow. And so somehow they had this spiritual understanding that God gave them. Is this unusual that God will only do for certain uh, people like these great men of faith. Remember, these things are written, these things in the time past, Paul says, for our learning and for our encouragement. That's what it says in, in Corinthians. This, this is a reason. This is for our encouragement, for our understanding. 
are learning. There's something we can learn from this to apply to our life, what's going on here, what we're reading right here. And so, as it turns out, when um, in verse uh, 11, so both of them show themselves to the camp of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming up out of the holes they have hidden themselves. And the men of the camp called to Jonathan and his armor and said, come up to us and we will show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into, my hand, into the hand of Israel. I want to say something here about signs. I have known many people say, well, I'm going to do this or do that, and God, God's going to give me a sign. And they make great mistakes that way. There is a difference between acting upon the things of the Spirit and reasoning with our own mind and trying to understand God with our natural mind. And there's many people have kind of put out the fleece like in Gideon. And well, and, and they think that God's given them a green light. There's something much deeper than this. <clears throat> Before the story, we see that Saul gets tired of waiting for Samuel the prophet, and he offers a sacrifice himself, which is against the law. Everything. He did something against God's law, thinking that somehow it would turn out right. There is a relationship between being led by the Spirit and our relationship with God. Having a relationship with Christ and being led by the Spirit. Because we can see these examples and say, oh, look what they did. I'm going to do that. And fall flat on our face. Because we have to be led in the, by the Spirit in the things of God. A great example of that in the book of Acts is where they see Paul casting out demons these, uh, these seven sons of Sceva, they, they see Paul, the apostle, casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And so they were exorcists. And they, they decided to start trying to... Apparently they weren't that successful. So they started trying to cast out demons using the name of Jesus. So they come up to this... They go into this house, this guy has demons, and they try to cast them out. And they say, we command you to come out of of this man in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And the demons within the man said, Well, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? And it says the demons fell upon these seven men, these seven brothers, and they were cast out naked and bleeding. In other words, they got beat up. You know, this is not magic. And this is not something that's understood by human, by human nature, or the natural mind. It's under the influence of the Holy Spirit that these things are understood. As we're led by the Spirit, we understand the things of the Spirit. Apostle Paul says, the things of God, the natural man does not understand. But God reveals them to us through His Spirit. So that we may know the things that God has freely given us. The natural mind, our natural mind, your natural mind, my natural mind, do not understand these things. And so, 
when we see Jonathan acting this way, there's, he has a connection with God. This is not magic or just, hey, this is a great idea, and we're these courageous men, and we trust in God. We're, no. He was different than these men because he had faith in God who he had a relationship with. We see that in Joshua and Caleb in the story of the 12 spies uh, uh, spying out the promised land. And we see it here. Men that are different. Two men that are different. And of course, the story goes on, verse 13, and Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. Boy, if you had a video of this. You see this this camp of Philistines licking their chops, waiting to get a holy men that are crawling on their hands and knees up this cliff to get and they're just they're just sitting there waiting and we're gonna we're gonna make quick work of these two guys. Look at this, they have the goal to come up here, we'll take care of them. And so they had this false confidence. Because they had confidence in the flesh. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about twenty men with half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp and in the field and among all the people. And the camp and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that there was a very great trembling. So, the Philistines, who had all this confidence in all that they had, and all that their numbers and their power and their camp, it says that they were struck with a spirit of fear. And you can see it, so they were shaking. And it says the ground, the earthquake, God began moving among them and shaking the ground and shaking their hearts. Two men. Two men. What did God do? <clears throat> we have no idea what was going on. We, but all we know is that there was this great trembling in the hearts of these men that had such confidence before. God had completely turned the tables. And the spirit of fear that was on the Israelites, now it's on the Philistines. And they get up and run. And then, as we continue the story, now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was this crowd melting away, and they went here and there. Confusion. And Saul said to the people who were with them, Now call the roll and see who is gone from us. And when they had gone, called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. <clears throat> and Saul said to Ahijah, who was the priest, Bring the ark of God here. <clears throat> For at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which is in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. And Saul and all the people were with him assembled, and they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was a very great confusion. Somehow God had turned the Philistines against each other. 
how this happened. Again, this is supernatural occurrence. Earthquaking, hearts quaking. Nobody saw this coming. Except Jonathan. It was Armbrand. God, God can work for us. God does not need many. He's not restrained by many or by few. Verse 21, also the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. That means all the deserters who were working for the Philistine army, now they saw what was happening, and they joined their brethren, the Israelites. They had deserted, now they were coming back and helping out. Where did all this courage come from? what they saw. They saw that something was happening and the Philistines were running. Now they had confidence. Why? Because they were still in the place of natural understanding. But they understood that something was going on and the Philistines were in retreat. They didn't know what happened, but they saw that that something was going for them. And so they joined in the attack. Likewise, all the men of Israel had hidden themselves in the mountains of Ephraim. When they heard the Philistines fled, they also followed after them in the battle. Boy, isn't it easy to join a battle when the enemy's in retreat. When their backs are to, uh, are to you, it's a lot easier. Please try to understand from this the message that Rise out to each of us. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all of your ways. And He will direct your path. There is no need for discouragement for the Christian. There is no need for depression, anxiety, and fear. We have not, as Christians, been given a spirit of fear. But of power. The spirit of power, the spirit of love, sound mind, soundness of mind, self-control. Everything we need for life and godliness is found in Christ. So then why are we discouraged? Discouragement is a lack of courage. Why do we look at our situations and, and feel have a lack of courage? Have a lack of confidence. Could it be? Could it possibly be that we're being just like these Israelites? Of course. The Israelites are a great demonstration of human nature over and over and over again. And God hammers that point home over and over and over again to each of us throughout all these stories in the Old Testament of the people of God. And his message comes over and over again of the people of God living in defeat or in victory. How does it happen? How does defeat turn into victory? Over and over again. Discouragement turns into faith. Trusting in the Word of God. A man of God takes, takes a stand 
for the, for the Word of God and the power of God. And he believes it. And it turns things around. And so, the Christian must apply that to his life. Each and every situation in life. And lo and behold, the light shines in the dungeon. Giant despair is defeated. And we are delivered from Doubting Castle from the key of God's promises. Of course, I am talking about something from a book called Pilgrim's Progress. And there is something in Pilgrim's Progress, if I can get it up here, I have it saved. Here it is. I've referred to this in the past, but I'd like you to listen to this excerpt out of Pilgrim's Progress. It's where Pilgrim goes to interpreter and he explains, he has, he shows them all these uh, visions and explains what these visions are. And I saw also the interpreter took him again by the hand and led him to a pleasant place where a stately palace was built, beautiful to behold, and at the sight of which Christian was greatly delighted, he saw certain persons walking upon the top who were clothed all in gold. And Christian said, May we go in there? And the interpreter took him and led him up toward the door of the palace. And behold, at the door stood a great company of men designed to go in, but they dared not. And a man sat at a little distance from the door beside a table with a book and his inkhorn before him to take the names of those who should that should enter in. And he saw also that in a doorway stood many men in armor to keep it, being resolved to do to the men that would enter what hurt and mischief they could. Now Christian was somewhat amazed. And last, when every man turned back for fear of the armed men, Christian saw a man of very courageous and determined composure come up to the man that sat there to write, saying, Write down my name, sir. And when this was done, Christian saw the man draw his sword, put a helmet on his head, and rushed toward the door upon the armed men, and laid upon him with deadly force. But the man, not all discouraged, felt a cutting and hacking most fiercely. And after he had received and given many wounds to those who attempted to keep him out, he cut his way through them all and pressed forward into the palace at which there was a pleasant voice heard from those who were within, even those that walked upon the top of the palace, saying, Come in, come in, eternal glory you shall win. <clears throat> the reason I think this is so important, because I think this reflects very much on the story of Jonathan and a man who was not intimidated by his circumstances. The Bible talks about fighting the good fight of faith. And you see that being demonstrated in a parable in Pilgrim's Progress here, that famous classic story. And you see that he is not only not at all intimidated by his circumstances, 
He's not intimidated by his foes. And he takes the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and the, and the armor of God, and he moves forward. And he moves forward with confidence. And before he moves forward, you see the confidence. Write down my name. Everybody else he saw, everybody else Christian saw was afraid to have, have his name written down. Write down my name. Guy writes down his name, he puts his helmet on, he puts a sword on, he takes a shield, and he moves forward in confidence. Not craziness, confidence. And this is the message of courage in Christ. Encourage in the Word of God. Courage to believe the message of the Gospel as a Christian. And so the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth Aden. You see Jonathan, his armor bearer, but you see the rest of the Israelites, they only moved by sight. When they saw that the battle had turned into their favor, and the Israelites were on the run, then they were joined into battle. Anybody, anybody, can find it easy to follow Christ when everything's going good. But as the Lord has clearly shown us, our faith will be tested. And we are to apply confidence and courage of the Word of God. We're to put trust in what God has said. And that's different and just trusting God when everything's going good. Our faith will be tested. The faith of the Israelites was tested. And Jonathan and his armor bearer were the only ones who came through in faith and trusted God. So let's have a little review. Of what we've gone through so far. Things appeared dark. Situation was impossible. A spirit of fear. Not what the Christian has been given. We've been given everything we need to live a victorious Christian life. But yet, there was no hope for the men of Israel, the men of God. No faith. They were hiding in caves. And so we have to say, is that me today? Oh, I'm trusting God. Are we really doing that? Are we walking in that confidence, that courage like Jonathan, like Pilgrim, like Christian in the Story Pilgrim's Progress. <coughs> Taking that, that sword and that helmet and the shield of faith and just going forward in such confidence. Where does that... How do we know? We began to examine ourselves, as Paul said, to see whether we're in the faith. See whether we're in the faith 
chorus for eternal life. Let's see if we're in the faith concerning our life, our circumstances. How do we know? What can we look at to see whether that's really what's happening with me? Okay, let's take inventory. What's my prayer life like? And then we begin to get a, a shift a little bit. We start tap dancing a little. Oh, well, you know, it's not that good right now because, you know, and then we begin to name all the circumstances in our life, all our responsibilities and all this and that. And then we begin to look and say, well, you know, I guess I haven't really been praying that much. And I haven't really been trusting God in certain areas. I've been feeling a little discouraged in this area and that area. A little depressed about, you know, how my kids are doing or how my parents are doing and how my job is going or how how my financial situation is, how my business is doing, and, you know, how my marriage is going, and, you know, and we just start, and we just start breathing out all our unbelief, you know, as we look at our life, and we begin to look to human reasoning to defend those positions. Powers of the intellect, the human mind. The powers of persuasion of our human nature, of our natural man, of leaning on our own understanding to justify why we are not walking with the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And Paul names one of the parts of the armor. Jesus was asked to be taught by his disciples only one thing that's recorded that he asked them to teach them. Lord, teach us to pray. And to me, from a natural perspective, you'd say, well, why do you need to be taught to pray? You already know what you need and, you know, you just pray, you know? It's like, what an elementary thing to ask Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. Well, they saw something in Jesus that they didn't see in themselves. Confidence. Sometimes Jesus prayed out loud. And he was praying for his long periods of time. He was there praying up in the mountain all night. And he was able to just concentrate and just go on and on in prayer. And, and he was, he had this powerful prayer life. They didn't. They saw something in Jesus that they didn't see in themselves. And not only did they see Jesus praying, but they saw answers. They, they stuck around Jesus for three years. They saw some, the things he was praying being answered. He had uh, seven, what was it, five loaves and two fishes? And he gave thanks to God, and all of a sudden it became... They saw there's something going on with Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. <clears throat> and he taught them the Our Father. 
And then he taught them about a, a, a parable concerning boldness. Boldness, courage, confidence in prayer. Where do you get that confidence? From taking heed to the Word of God. Faith comes from hearing, taking heed to the Word of God. It doesn't say from reading the Word of God. Of course we need to read the Word of God before we can take heed to it. But heeding to it, taking heed to it, hearing what it's saying there. If I try, but it, sometimes it's just like not getting anything out of it. I think we've all been in that place. Maybe some of us are in that place right now. We're not really getting, we're reading, it's just like not getting it. I have experienced that both as, an un, as a non-believer and as a Christian. When I was like 13 years old, I took a Bible and started reading it. I'm going to read the Bible. I started, read through, started reading through Genesis and I just stopped. It was just, there's something, there's no connection there. <clears throat> when I became a Christian, there was a, there was a connection there and I was reading from cover to cover and I was getting something. But then there was these dry spells and what is it an indication of? It all comes back to our relationship with Jesus, our walk with Him, our interpersonal one-on-one -on -one relationship with Him. Say, so, well, I'm trying to have a relationship with Him, but it seems so dry. Where, where's God at? God is approached through faith. We must approach Him believing His Word. We must approach His Word believing it. Christ lives in our hearts through faith. We understand the Word of God through faith. And the Holy Spirit opens up our understanding. And the Holy Spirit works with us and teaches us and guides us. And we begin to perceive the things. And we begin to, He begins to teach us to pray. Did you ever just get before the Lord and say, Lord, teach me to pray. Holy Spirit, teach me to pray. Guide me in my prayers. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. I encourage you to read that in Luke chapter 11 when you have a chance. We're going to do that today. Read the chapter. Starts out, Lord, teach us to pray. And the whole chapter, I mean, the whole first segment of that chapter is on that. He gives a parable, that prayer, everything. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And to pray the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith will save the sick, it says. Let a man ask in faith. Well, how do I get that kind of faith? Listen to the Word of God. Listen to Jesus. Listen to the Apostle. Listen to Jonathan. Listen to David. When they're, look at what they're doing. There's a different outlook on life. It is a supernatural outlook on life. It is the outlook on life of the children of God. We've got to stop ourselves. We've got to get off the merry-go-round 
of human understanding, human reasoning. Got to get off of that. Because we just, we, you know, with the merry-go-round, you just go in the circles. You don't go anywhere, really. You don't travel. When you're traveling, we're really not going anywhere. As the, as the saying in the world is, you're going nowhere fast. You know? Might be a fun ride, but you ain't going anywhere. And after a while, it, get, it gets old. You get busy. Got to get off of that. How do you get off of that? Look at the difference between the mindset of Saul and his men and Jonathan and his armor bearer. Take a stand on what God says. Believe the Word of God. And apply it. Not to Jonathan's life. Not to David fighting Goliath. Apply all those lessons learned to our personal life. And all the things that have taken us down. That make us feel depressed. Make us feel black. Make us afraid. Afraid of death, afraid of life, afraid of everything. Afraid of our own shadow. Afraid to walk down a dark alley. What did David say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, no evil will I fear, because you are there with me. That is an understanding about God. About who He really is. Well, why should He be with me? Well, if we make peace with God and become one of His children, He says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And then He has given angels charge concerning us. They are ministering spirits sent to minister to those who will inherit salvation. The people of God have to be like that man in Pilgrim's Progress. Okay, I'm following Christ. I'm taking the sword of the Spirit. I'm taking the shield of faith. faith. I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. I'm going to get the prayer and faith and I'm going to go forward. And I'm going to attack. Human history tells us about war. And you see many examples of attack and counterattack. In studying many wars, I've seen that happen when I was a kid. I had this strange fascination for studying war. And one of the ones, for example, happened during World War II when Adolf Hitler made the decision to attack Russia. And he was highly confident. And against the advice of some of his generals, he went and did it anyway. And it was a massive success. Within months, they had driven the Russian soldiers all the way back to Stalingrad, halfway through the country. They had taken six million prisoners. There was a massacre. But one thing they didn't do is they didn't prepare for winter, and, and the harsh Russian winter came. And uh, finally they had to go into winter hiding, winter encampments, after suffering a lot of losses from the cold, the Germans did. And then, on top of that, while they were in winter encampments, the Russians had the audacity to counterattack. 
as badly beaten as they were. The Germans had believed that they were, they were demoralized and defeated, and they just had to walk into Stalingrad and take over, and that'd be it. It's not what happened. Um, the, the Russian army was uh, resupplied by the United States, and they counterattacked every winter. And eventually, the Russian front became a German disaster. And eventually, it was very instrumental in the defeat of uh, Nazism and Hitler and Germany in World War II. But it was when they were under attack and seemingly defeated that instead of sitting in their caves and sitting in hiding and waiting, they had the gall to attack, to counterattack. What does that mean to spiritual things? We are all under assault. Each of us is under assault. And if you are a Christian, you are under the special bullseye of the devil. It says that in the last days, in the book of Revelation, it says that Satan has great anger, great fury, and he goes out to make war against the saints. And he has great fury because he knows that he only has a short time left. In our time, Satan knows he only has a short time left. And there is great fury against the people of God. Now we can sit here and shake in our boots like all those people that were afraid to have their name written down in Pilgrim's Progress and to take the sword and the shield and all the other weapons and fight against the foe. But we, in this time and in our times, must take the sword and the helmet and the shield and all the weaponry that God has given us and fight the good fight of faith and not tremble, not walk in a spirit of fear. Because many of the people of God are not victorious because they have a spirit of fear. Not of power, love, and self-control. Why? They're not believing in it. They're not believing the Word of God concerning this fight. And the reality of it. And the tools that God has given us. Because they're spiritual. And they're spiritually discerned. And must be understood through spiritual revelation of the Holy Spirit. Must be taught and guided and comforted and led by the Holy Spirit in relationship with Christ. Brother Dan, that's what I have today. Brother, if you want to comment on that or anything else you want to take from there. Take the other brothers that have anything.